Greetings in Jesus' name to everyone that's gathered here this morning. We are a blessed people. We have life and breath, and therefore we should glorify the Lord. Make this a house of prayer, a house of worship, where we bring our heart in... uh, Drawing near in full assurance of faith. As we prayed for our brother Dale, I was thinking of the the verse that speaks to uh, glorifying God. It's in the story of uh, Belshazzar and Daniel, and Daniel reproved the king for not giving honor to the God in whose hand his breath is. That's a very um, specific reality in Dale's case, but also an example for all of us that the God in whose hand our breath is, we ought to glorify. While we have breath, we should praise the Lord. Well, this morning... I'd like for you to turn with me to Romans chapter 12, verses 3, uh, 4, and 5 as kind of an introduction to the, to the message this morning. It's not, uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it my text, but it is the introduction to the message In Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Before I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another. So, the topic this morning is, uh, and I've titled it, A Right View of My Place in the Church of God. And it seems like a bit of a clumsy title, maybe. A right view of my place in the church of God. Now, one of the things, kind of the main uh, thrust of my message was will be concerning my gift, your gift, speaking about our gift. And how it is, how we should think rightly about my gift and, and my place, if you will, my responsibility, my contribution to the church of God. How to think rightly about that. 
God has given us instruction and in quite detailed and extensive about what our thinking should be in regard to this matter, our place, our responsibility, our contribution to the church of God. And that's what I'd like to focus on this morning, just a bit of a study, an exhortation as we look through the scripture here and draw out some points for our consideration. It is a subject we have touched on often, and I will probably say nothing new this morning, but I think it's important for us from time to time to consider, reflect, and maybe adjust our thinking more in line with the scripture as to our place in the church of God. I would like to turn now to 1 Corinthians. Let's go to chapter 12. We're going to look at various places there. But in chapter 12 we have a um, a teaching on the same subject that was kind of the central theme there of Romans chapter 12 and that is of gifts in the body and that we are one body so let's read here in Roman I'm sorry in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 1 now concerning spiritual gifts brethren I would not have you ignorant. Ye know that ye were Gentiles carried away unto these dumb idols, even as ye were led. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed, and that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. For to one is given by the Spirit of word. I'm sorry, let me read that again. For to one is given by the Spirit the word of wisdom to another the word of knowledge by the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another diverse kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But all these worketh that one and the selfsame Spirit, dividing to every man severally as he will. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now we'll stop reading there for the moment. Now, this message is not necessarily for you to determine what specific gift you have. That's, a, that's another subject. I'm talking here about your thinking and your um, 
understanding of what your place, your responsibility, and how you should relate to your gift and to the gifts of others. And it's made very clear here that we are all of one body. There should be a working together. And uh, we're going to draw out a number of things from the book of 1 Corinthians because it seems there was something lacking in their experience. And so Paul was addressing that and, and giving some needed correction and instruction on how they should look at this matter of their gifts. So I've drawn, uh, I think I have what here, six six different uh, points I'd like to draw out of this teaching in 1 Corinthians. And we're going to look at a few other verses. Um, I'd like to just, uh, to have you think about the importance of all the parts working together. And that is kind of central to the thought here is that we as a body, though we have different members and different ones have different gifts, it is a working together. And for just a practical example, let's think about some of our activities yesterday. And a number of you played softball. And one of the requirements or parts of playing ball is to throw the ball. And so you might ask the question, so what do you use to throw the ball? Well, you use your hand. You grab the ball and you throw it. So we'd ask the question, well, do you throw the ball with your elbow? Well, now this is a little trick question, but the first response is, well, no, I don't, use, I don't throw the ball with my elbow. That's, uh, that would look ridiculous, and it would. But then the next question is, so do you throw the ball without your elbow? Uh, well, no. <laughs> that also is not reality. So, the elbow does not have the prominence in any way, particularly. But if it was missing, you wouldn't be throwing the ball. Right. It's just that simple. Right. You must have the elbow contributing, even though it doesn't have the prominence. There's still a part to be played. Now, let's make just a practical application in the spiritual body, in the church of God. The preacher will call him Apollos. He is eloquent in Scripture and in the Word of God, and he can preach like few men can. Apollos. Isn't the church blessed when they have Apollos? And wouldn't the Sunday morning service just be so wonderful if we only had an Apollos to lead the preaching? Well, yes, such a church would be tremendously blessed. But what is the purpose of preaching? It's not just for the glorification of Apollos. It's for the edification of the body. And if that purpose is not accomplished, then it rather falls flat. And is Apollos the only one who has contributed to the end result of the church being edified? 
Now, this is a bit of a rhetorical question. The answer is obviously no. If we think a little farther, we realize that the persons who prayed earnestly for Apollos and the preaching of the word and that God would work in our midst, they contributed. If it weren't for their part in the service, not as much is going to be accomplished. Even though there's an Apollos. So, but it wasn't just Apollos and it wasn't just the souls who prayed, important as that is, they probably won't get a lot of recognition. You know, if, if the message was powerful and God moved mightily, we don't look at sister so-and-so and say, oh, she was the one who prayed it through. No, Apollos kind of got the, got the attention. But the prayers were part of the work. But further, there's also the Spirit of God. It's not just the Apollos, it's not just the one who prays, but the Spirit of God gave Apollos unction. The Spirit of God also spoke to the hearts of the hearers and did a work. And we could even go further. That perhaps after the service, someone with a gift of exhortation just put that finishing touch to somebody's heart that made it click if you will, and the work is accomplished. So there is a place. All of us have a place. All of us have responsibility, be it great or small. And I will just add at this point that it is really not so maybe uppermost, that you're able to list your specific gifts if you'll just do what you can. And your gift will make room for you. So of my points here, and I'm, they sort of flow together, I'm sure I'll repeat myself uh, numerous times as we go through here. But the first one I have here For a right view is that of humility. I'm just going to write these on the board. Humility is so important. Being clothed with humility, the scripture says. And in the opening introductory here on... Romans chapter 12, verse 3, where he talks about not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think, but to think soberly. Now, that's kind of where I drew my title, thinking soberly. Soberly means to think rightly. And so that's how I worded it here. It means to have a realistic view a right view, a sound view, one that is in accordance with the truth. Um, So you ought not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. Probably one of the most important things, that no matter how much we're used or how great our contribution, 
we should not think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Let's turn to the first chapter of 1 Corinthians and we'll see how much of a problem this was. Let's begin reading in verse 4. 1 Corinthians 1, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were ye baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest any should say that I had baptized in mine own name. And I baptized also the household of Stephanus, Besides, I know not whether I baptized any other. For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of non-effect. We'll stop there for a moment and consider the problem they had here in Corinth. There was contentions among them, somewhat of a party spirit and it seemed to be in in relation to their view of the certain men in their midst and they would attach themselves more to one than the other as though there was some kind of a a conflict when there ought not to have been any but they were making it a a divisive thing They were not perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. And I think, as we find in other places, I think Paul uses the term puffed up. They ought not to be puffed up one against another. And that relates to our point of humility. If humility is not present, there is most likely going to be problems of being puffed up one against another, some feeling maybe superior and some um, inferior, and not perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. Now let's just understand that 
when I'm making these points, it may sound sort of simple, but you know that life is much more complex, the reality. But let's not lose sight of the fundamentals and the basic principles by which we operate. And that helps us to align our mind again to embrace the principles and humility is fundamental among them. If we're not going to be humble of mind one toward another, we'll really, really struggle with any kind of unity and, and being of one mind. But it is God's will and desire for us as a body to be of one mind, to be of one heart. And we should be striving together for that. So how does my gift operate in the body. Well, let's uh, consider how it was for Paul and Apollos. There's, uh, those are two names that are mentioned here. I am of Paul and I am Apollos. And here is Paul himself writing these things. So, Paul mentions here that he was not sent to baptize. Now, that's a bit interesting because baptism is very important. And Paul was chosen of God to take the message to the Gentiles, and yet he specifically states that he was not called to baptize. Well, they should all be baptized, shouldn't they? Why isn't Paul the baptizer? Well, that was part of God's purpose and place that he had for Paul, okay? But here was his mission to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, oh, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. So, if Paul is sent to preach the gospel, then he should have a gift like Apollos, we think, right? I mean, if he's going to preach, he needs to be effective. He needs to be able to be eloquent. But lo and behold, that's really not how it was. So let's turn to chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. Now, was Paul saying that he was ignorant? No, it's not what he's, that's not what he's saying. He didn't come with excellency of speech. He didn't come in the manner of Apollos. Apollos was eloquent, excellent of speech. Not Paul, even though he had that responsibility. Or of wisdom, and it doesn't mean that Paul wasn't smart or that he... That he wasn't wise, but in this context, I believe what Paul is saying is that it was not his persuasive words that sounded so wise that was persuading men of the truth. Rather, he says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. 
There it is, Lee. You mentioned trembling this morning. I'm before you in trembling. But Paul? Paul? Trembling? How could it be? He's, he has unction. He has, well, he, he's just got it all. I mean, he's Paul. But yet, Paul, in humility, he had to acknowledge that there was trembling, there was... But what I want you especially to note is that Paul was in no way discouraged. It doesn't seem, although he faced discouragement, but in this context, it seemed he had all boldness. Even in spite of his trembling. Then he says, And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Okay, so there we have a little glimpse of how Paul thought about himself and what he acknowledged about himself and how he he saw his, his gifts fitting into the church of God. Now, let's follow that thought further in chapter 3. And I, brethren, verse 1 there, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. And I'll just insert here a little commentary that Paul could have taught them much more than he was, but he saw that they couldn't bear it. So it wasn't a lack of eloquence that was the hindrance here. It was not a lack of, lack of knowledge on Paul's part, but he was simply speaking to them according to their need and actually calling them to account here that it was partly their lack of ability to, of maturity and understanding. Verse 3, For ye are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? So, here he puts in the word envying. In chapter 1, we heard about the strife and the divisions now enters envy as kind of twisted in there with these problems. We should take note. Envy of what a brother or sister can do that I can't should not be entertained. That's not thinking soberly. Verse 4. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according 
to his own labor. Now I'm getting a bit ahead of myself there, but it's with the flow here. Humility was point number one, faithful. Well, let's, let's uh, look in chapter 4. We'll come back to this point in 3 here. But in chapter 4, it says, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So that's my second point is that we are to be found faithful. Faithful. Now, faithful in the, in the context of a steward, a steward is given his master's goods to take care of them. And the lesson here is that God has given us abilities and tasks to every man severally as he will. God gave us these, and he expects us to be faithful. Okay, it's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. So what does it mean to be faithful? Well, I have two sub-points under that. The first one is simply diligent. Meaning that we should... Uh, put some effort into it. It's not to be slothful, but you're supposed to do something with this. Jesus gave the parable of the talents. To one was given five, to another two, and to another one. And the first and the second went and traded and acquired more. And the third one was a slothful servant. He did not do his Lord's will. It's not that he had nothing, he just had little and then was slothful. So the first point is diligence, and then the second one is to seek for more. You should not simply just uh, think that, well, this is all that God asked me to do, but you should seek for more. In that parable of the talents, God expected them to go out and trade and to... And, and that could be twofold. One is, yes, they may acquire more gifts, but they should also multiply that which they already have and, and so get gain for their master. So these kind of flow together. But these two points were just to give a bit of definition to the word faithful. God expects us to be faithful. Now, let's think back here of the example of Paul and of Apollos. For Paul to rightly think about his place and his responsibilities, there could have been temptation on his part to feel inferior to Apollos. 
Apollos was eloquent. Paul was not. But it doesn't seem like that was in Paul's focus at all. He simply acknowledged there's a difference and that both are important. And he mentions that in chapter 3 where we read that I have planted Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So it's not a matter of one brother being superior to another, um, but rather that both are needed. Well, let's, let's put some more common names in here that uh, we can relate to. I'll try to make them somewhat generic here, but, um, but we have preachers today who are eloquent, um, I know several with the name Dale. They are eloquent preachers. And then there might be Sam, who just feels like he can't. Well, he can preach, but he certainly can't preach like Dale. So there's the temptation for Sam to think, well, why doesn't Dale just do the preaching? So... You know, he's tempted to just maybe let Dale carry the load. But let's think about it. Is Dale able to carry the load? Is all the preaching going to go to those who are eloquent? Well, no, that simply can't work. God needs, yes, he needs a lot more eloquent preachers, but he also needs preachers of all sorts that can preach and carry the work. One eloquent man can't carry the work by himself, not even in one fellowship, let alone the broader church. So, Sam, he can't preach like Dale, but he should preach. And of the ability that God gives him, he should pour his heart into it and not worry particularly that it's not like Dale and not like the other brother who is more eloquent, but I do it of the ability that God giveth, and I put my heart into it, and the church is edified, because there is no way that all the Dales can carry the load. It's not going to happen. God needs all the church. Let's use a different example. You're a sister, and you have the gift of hospitality. You are so generous and so hospitable. In all the land, there is none so hospitable as you. Well, bless God, I'm glad you're part of our fellowship. That's wonderful. But is all the hospitality going to be done by... Sister so-and-so? Well, no. No. God asks all of us to be hospitable. It's a responsibility for all, not just one sister, even though she's the best at it. And the other sisters should not shirk their responsibility just because 
sister capable can do it so much better than I can. Why should I even bother? No, no. Sister capable will never reach around. Even though she excels them all. Does it oftener than anyone else. She won't reach around. It's not realistic. All need to play their part. And don't feel intimidated any more than Sam. He shouldn't feel intimidated because Dale is so eloquent. Neither should you be intimidated, though Sister Capable is so much better at it than you are. A right view of my place in the church of God. So faithfulness. Now let's go to point three. And that is to take example and to imitate those who excel. I'm going to run out of space here. But take example, and and there's numerous passages that would speak to that. And this is one that I believe there's a bit of resistance to this one in that we like to think of ourselves as original inventors, able to do it ourselves. I can have my own church. I know how it should be done. And are not humble enough to simply follow the example. But let me give you a few of the scriptures. Paul exhorted those and and spoke about what he did and said, so as he might have us for an example. In Peter, the elders are exhorted to be ensamples to the flock. And in in, uh, Hebrews chapter 13, it says, Obey them that have the rule over you and, let's say, follow. I'm sorry, I should have that here. Whose faith follow, I think, is what it says. Um, Remember, them which have the rule over you who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. In Timothy, the young men are exhorted to be examples to the believers in faith and charity. So, we should be examples. And if possible, we should excel in the gifts that God has given us so that we can be an example. And the point here in being an example is not to exhibit our abilities, but to glorify our Savior and to contribute to the health and well-being of the body. And to imitate those who excel. We might think it's beneath our dignity to copy. And there's even a little bit of scorn for those who are just imitators. You know, they can't 
they'll never quite make up to, you know, the person they're trying to imitate. And, and I, I realize there are, there are rules in that. I mean, I'm not saying that you have to mimic every little detail. But let's actually seek to imitate those who do well. In what we can learn from them, Sam, who can't preach like Dale, he shouldn't necessarily try to mimic everything that Dale does, but he should seek to learn from Dale what he can so that he becomes more fruitful. And no, you might never be hospitable like Sister Capable, but take some examples, you know. Seek to do it a little bit the way she does, if that's practical and helpful. And just humble yourself and learn from those who excel. The principle is clear in Scripture that we should, we should take example and be willing to just imitate them if they do well and excel. Okay, next point is our gift edifies the body. And this one is so important that we not be puffed up one against another and that the diligent exercise of our gift, we should not shrink back from that, understanding clearly that it's not to exhibit our skills, but it's to help the body. And so on the one side, we should not be bashful to, to exert ourselves and do what we can, but on the other side, not to be puffed up either. Our gift edifies the body. And more could be said on this. This one goes deep because we're, we often have the mindset of, of a race. You know, it's a competition, me against everyone else. And if I can get there first, be the greatest, the fastest, and, and well, there is... There is something about that race, you know, one receiveth the prize, Paul said, but then he said, so run that ye may obtain. And in the church, it's not a competition of me getting ahead of brother so-and-so. or It's, we're, we're here to edify the body, not to showcase my individual abilities, but it's here to edify The next point is that God gives the increase. God gives the increase. Now let's look at the verse there in chapter 3, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Verse 6, I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 
Now, in all of our labors, we need to acknowledge frequently and clearly that it is God that is giving us our ability and, and that's giving the increase. If good is accomplished, let's say Apollos, eloquent in speech, gives a wonderful sermon and the church body has prayed, they have contributed to that and the Spirit of God was there working and hearts are changed and, and edified and all of it works together as a, as a working part. And it's not one that receives the glory. Even though, as Paul said clearly there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the part we didn't read, but further on he talks about you know, all the different members and some have more honor than others. Some have more, are more comely parts and they're more hidden. And, uh, and yet it all works together for the whole. And all of us together should freely acknowledge that it is God that gives the increase. We're simply laboring together. And so that helps me to remember in humility that it's not just me, it's us. We are a body. We work together. And I should not be puffed up uh, one against another. God gives the increase. Now let's look here in chapter 4, verse 6. And these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in us, there he's actually speaking of himself as an example, not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? So... Brother Dale is eloquent like Apollos and he can preach. Is that all of his own ability? Did he get this somewhere himself? Was it because he went to seminary and studied diligently? Or, or did God just dump that out on him and, and poor you missed out? Uh, no, no, and no. It's not... No, it wasn't Dale somehow, you know, even by diligence. Yes, I hope he, he learned and he improved just like Apollos should. But it was, after all, something that he was given by God. And so Dale can humbly accept it. It wasn't me. It was God. And Sam can take courage and seek for more because it's God that gives you the ability to do your part. And just like in the, the parable of the talents God gave, or the master in that case gave to every man according to his several abilities, it says. So 
God is not so stringent as to expect you to do more than, your, than he gives you the strength to do. But he does expect you to exert yourself and to seek for more. So, if sister capable who can do hospitality so well, was that something that she acquired on her own? Do you think it's not difficult for her too? You know, realistically, it wasn't something that was just dumped on her, you know, and, but it was given to her. It was given by God. Now he says here, End of verse 7, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? Back to our first point in humility. We should, we should exercise our gift in humility. And then the last point here is, is a bit different than the first uh, five here. And that is that all of this now, all of our gifts and abilities and are working for the benefit of the church is to be done in the right context. And that context is charity. And he points that out so beautifully in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians. The end of chapter 12, after speaking of all these gifts, he says, But covet earnestly the best gifts, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. And then he begins by saying, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels. And let's suppose that I could preach as good as Apollos. Oh, eloquence. No lack there. The tongues of men and of angels, even if it was such a superior message that it was almost angelic. But wait a minute. If it's not all in the context of charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, Oh, I have such, a, such an excellent view of how church ought to be done. My understanding in these matters, you know, I wish everyone would just, you know, and I'm exaggerating here a little bit, but you, you get the point, you know. No matter how great my understanding is, and my ability to see into the issues. And, oh, the church needs that. Yes, the church needs that earnestly. But it all needs to be in love and charity. 
And though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. Well, let's talk about faith a little bit. Is faith a gift? Do some men have more faith than other men? The answer is yes to both. Faith is a gift. Some men have more faith than others. Will anyone get by with no faith? The answer is no. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Everyone has to have faith. So, don't be content with the level of faith that you currently have. Seek for more. But also acknowledge there are some men that have more faith than others. But even if our faith was so strong and so gifted of God that we could actually remove mountains or work miracles, oh, that level is so intimidating. You know, brother, sister, so and so has such faith, and and I I could feel intimidated, like ooh, I I somehow I missed out on faith, you know. Well, praise God, there are some who have faith, but it should not be intimidating to me to the point where I become discouraged and think that, oh, I just. I just can't have faith because I haven't been given the gift like like brother over here. No, that's, that's not how it works. Everyone needs to have faith. And if some have more than others, praise God. I'll seek to, you know, be encouraged by my brother's faith. But I need to... I need to press into faith. <clears throat> All done in charity. I, um, I think of praying. Can some brothers pray better than others? I think so. Does that mean they're superior? Does that mean they should do all the praying? No, no, no. Everyone should pray. We should be more earnest in prayer. And if brother or sister can pray so much better than I, praise God, I don't need to be intimidated. I just need to seek more earnestness in prayer myself and bless God. Not be envious. Not think, well, I'll just, I'll just let them pray. They, they can do it better. But to think rightly, a right view of my place. We're here on our last point about charity. All things done in charity. And you know the list here. Suffers long, charity suffers long, envieth not. Vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, and on and on it lists what this charity looks like. 
And he concludes that by saying, And now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three, but the greatest of these is charity. And then in the next chapter, 14, where he speaks extensively about gifts and particularly about the gift of tongues, he introduces it with this thought, follow after charity and desire spiritual gifts, but rather that ye may prophesy. And in conclusion, I would say that having a right view of, of my place in the church of God, being clothed with humility, helps not only to stabilize my own thinking, me personally, it also helps me to think charitably about my brethren in the church and to realize that we work together as a body. When one member suffer, all the members suffer with it and all of that, it helps us to, to be at peace among ourselves and to strive together with one mind for the hope of the gospel. Well, I will conclude with that. God bless.